Well, today we begin a series called What Churches Don't Need. Now, there's a, a good reason we're looking at that. It's a, a three-week series, and it's three weeks because I'm only going to be here three more Sundays, if that's what the Lord wills. On uh, July 17th, I'm going to be going in view of a call to a church in Louisiana. And as we've talked about before, if, uh, if that church calls me, if the, the vote is in my favor, then my last Sunday here in Nixon will be uh, July 24th, that, that Sunday. Um, we are uh, excited about the opportunity there. I'm not ready to tell where the, the church is or, or the name of the church yet, but uh, that's, that's in our future. So I want to leave uh, Nixon, if, if this is the, the time that I'm leaving, I want to leave Nixon with uh, powerful, I hope and pray, messages from God's Word, just like I came. The, the series that uh, I began with when I started in Nixon nearly five years ago now, was a series called uh, A Church Changing the World from first two chapters of Acts and, and what we needed to be as a church. So I'm leaving us with something similar. Uh, what the church, uh, what churches, specifically Nixon, but churches in general, what churches don't need. We're going to look at three things that the churches, that churches don't need. Beginning today in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, looking at uh, a weak gospel as something churches don't need. We're going to look at, a church does don't need a weak gospel. We're going to look at the strong gospel as the, the opposite of, of what we don't need in churches, this weak gospel. Now, uh, going to show you a picture here of, uh, of Miss Maureen's favorite basketball player, um, Mr. LeBron James, not his biggest fan. I'm not his biggest fan, but uh, what I am is acknowledging that he's a good basketball player. In this picture, uh, Vince Carter, another good basketball player, is going up for a dunk, and LeBron ain't having any of it. That is a strong dunk, but LeBron is a stronger defender. LeBron is uh, strength personified, really, on, on a basketball court. He is not letting that happen. This is no weak dunk, and LeBron is, is, is stopping it. There's strength there. See, a, a weak dunk, a weak attempt is not going to do anything uh, not going to get anywhere against LeBron James. LeBron is going to stop a weak dunk. Well, similarly, a weak gospel will save no one. A weak gospel will not change the hearts of people. It must be a strong gospel. Or Satan's going to come and just swat that out of there, just like LeBron is doing to Vince Carter's dunk, if that gospel that is presented is weak. See, the pure gospel is strong. The gospel according to Jesus Christ is, is powerful, but it must be preached. It must be shared. It must be the strong gospel that is, that is presented, not a weak, watered-down version of it, or it will get rejected. 
So turn, if you haven't already, turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, and let's look at that. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That last phrase there, the righteous will live by faith, is from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. We talked about it a couple of years ago when I, uh, when I preached through Habakkuk. And if you remember, we talked about the, the, the phrase that's used in, in Habakkuk, the righteous will live by my faith. It's God speaking. And so the my is talking about God. But elsewhere, when it's repeated here uh, and in other places, it uses uh, the righteous will live by his faith, talking about the person. Paul leaves out both of those pronouns. Um, I'm not gonna, we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this verse, so I want to cover it briefly now just so you get a, kind of an overview of this idea of faith. Uh, he doesn't use either pronoun on purpose, we believe, because he wants us to understand that both are true. We li live by God's faithfulness and our faith. That's how the righteous live. So, so understanding that, beginning with this idea of faith, what does the true gospel look like? If, if we don't want a weak gospel in church, then what is the opposite of that? What is the, the, the antithesis of a weak gospel? This passage tells us what a strong gospel, the true gospel is. We see a number of things about the true gospel. First of all, we see that the true gospel inspires confidence. Paul writes, I am not, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for I am not ashamed. Now, this doesn't mean that when he, he talks about it, he turns red and he's, he, he's uh, you know, uh, uh, embarrassed to do it. This is not psychological shame. This is physical shame. This is, I am not uh, hesitant to talk about the gospel. I'm not, I, I don't, I don't shirk back from sharing the gospel with people. I'm not ashamed of it. I am I'm proud to share it. I am excited to share it. I'm not worried about what is going to happen to me. I don't care that I might be ridiculed, that I might be picked on, that I might be disliked. In his case, that he might be beaten, which he was. He might be stoned, which he was. He might be uh, escorted uh, unceremoniously out of town, which, is what, which he was. He's not concerned with any of those things because he is uh, not ashamed. He is not worried about what's going to happen to him. Why? He has full confidence in the gospel. It inspires confidence in the sharer, the one who is sharing, in, in the witness, in the one who is testifying to the gospel. I can tell people about the gospel because I know about the gospel. I know how it has changed me. I know how it has changed other people. Paul knew what he had been. He knew that he had been a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had been perfect when it comes to following the law. Uh, in in de defending the law, he was zealous to the point of uh, going and, and, and giving his uh, authority and his supervision and his, his approval to the murder of, of people who were following Jesus. 
He knew what the gospel could do. It, it was, he was confident in the gospel. He was confident because of what he had seen happen to other people. People in Ephesus, people in Colossae, people in Corinth, people in Thessalonica, people in Rome that he hadn't even met. He could say, I know how the gospel has affected you. I know what it has done in your life, even though he had never met him. He was confident in the gospel. We, I'm afraid, too often don't share the gospel because we don't trust it. We don't share the gospel because it's, we're worried it's not going to affect the person the way we think it should. Or maybe we're worried that, oh, if I share the gospel, they're going to ask me hard questions like, uh, like did Adam have a belly button? Or uh, why did God create evil? Or did God create evil? Or uh, some of the, you know, why, some of these hard questions. They're going to ask me to explain how salvation works. And well, if, if, well, if that's the case, if, they're gonna, if he was going to send Jesus, why didn't, we, uh, why didn't he just make us perfect to begin with? You know, all these questions, and I'm not going to be able to answer them, Lord. We're not confident in the gospel. We, we, we say we're not confident in ourselves, but really we are not confident in the gospel to be able to stand it on its own. A true gospel inspires confidence because the true gospel is potent. The true gospel is powerful. We can, we can have faith in, in God doing something through the gospel presentation because the gospel itself is powerful. It, uh, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power. That word power there is dynamite. It is an explosion. Coming home last night from, uh, from San Antonio, people are already beginning to celebrate their, their 4th of July with the fireworks. And driving along Highway 87, you're looking out, just, you know, minding your own business, and, and suddenly off to your left or your right, uh, there's this flash of light, and the stars, you know, fall. It gets your attention. There's this explosion. It, it's powerful. You can even hear it as you drive by, even going 75 miles an hour down the road. You, you know that there, there, something's happened. Something has changed over here. It's gotten your attention. It, it, it is explosive, literally. That is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is, is light exploding into the darkness of our hearts. It's, it's illuminating where we need to change, what, what is wrong with us. But not just illuminating it, but offering the, the way to change. Offering the, uh, gosh, the, the method, the, the, the source of our change. That is the gospel. That's the power of the gospel because it's God's power. It's not our power. It's not the, the person who's uh, uh, presenting it. It's not his or her power. It's, it's not the power in, in, in the force of personality. It is God's power. See, the power is in the message and not in the messenger. So if we don't remember all the points of a gospel presentation, it doesn't matter. Because if you are a Christian, if you have experienced salvation yourself, you should be able to explain that. You should be able to tell people, I was a sinner. I am a sinner. But I, I was a sinner, and I realized that I could do nothing about my sin, that I needed a Savior, and I knew that Savior. I learned that that Savior, the gospel came to me and told me of this Savior, whose name is Jesus, who died for my sins in my place, took my penalty, 
died for me. I trusted him and I believed him. I believed that he was enough to save me and now I'm no longer the same. I have repented of my sins. I have turned from my old life and he has given me the power to do it. That's the gospel right there. So if you can explain how you became a Christian, you can present the gospel to somebody. It is powerful all by itself. The gospel changes people. We don't change people. We don't compel people to change. There is a religion out there, more than one probably, but in particular one who compels people to change. Just this past week in Bangladesh, followers of Islam went into a cafe, I believe it was, and took hostages. Uh, a number of uh, Americans, students at Emory University, some Italians, a few others. And the reports that are coming out of that right now is that the hostage takers went around and if you could quote the Koran, you weren't killed. But if you couldn't quote the Koran, they killed you because you weren't of their faith. They were compelling people or attempting to compel people to follow the faith. That is not the true gospel that does that. The true gospel is powerful. The true gospel changes people. The true gospel works its way into our hearts and, and, and draws us. It, it's the explosive power of, of, of light in our endless darkness, endless night of sin. But it does not make us respond. The true gospel inspires confidence. The true gospel is potent the true gospel is also explicit. The true gospel is explicit. There is a clear understanding of the purpose of the gospel. The gospel is for salvation. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation. That's why the gospel exists. The gospel exists for salvation of individuals. The, the gospel exists for the salvation of the church of the followers of Jesus. It is deliverance from the grip of sin and from its curse, death. That's why the gospel exists. There's no reason for the gospel other than to deliver humanity, deliver the church in the end, but deliver humanity from sin. It does not exist for, uh, to give us a better life. The gospel doesn't exist. Its purpose is not to give us a pain-free life. It does not exist for happy days. Sunday, Monday, happy days. Tuesday, Wednesday, happy days. Thursday, Friday, happy days. No, it, it's not for a better life now or a better life later or best life today or Friday or any other day. It's, the gospel does not exist to give us a great America or a greater America or to fix America or any other country. The gospel is not does not have as its purpose financial security and make us uh, wealthier and, and, and make us better managers of our money. The gospel does not exist to give us st 10 steps to a happy household or a loving marriage or better children or anything like that. That is not the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is to save men's souls. That's why the gospel exists. Now you're probably thinking, but doesn't the gospel do some other things? Well, True, it does. The gospel does do a lot of things. The gospel does provide a better life. The gospel once believed, once accepted, Jesus 
once trusted as our Savior, does provide a better life. And it does provide our best life, as we saw when we looked at the the Beatitudes. The gospel allows us to go through life with less pain. Or at least the ability to, to, to make it through the pain because the Beatitudes, again, are prom- they promise persecution. Blessed are you when you're persecuted, not if. The, the gospel provides joy in the darkest of days. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is from the Lord. Joy on every day. If every person in America today were a Christian, absolutely we would have a much greater America. The gospel does change hearts. It changes nations. It changes a lot of things. If we are living by God's principles in obedience to Him, then certainly our money is handled differently and we, are, we have financial security. The gospel does provide for a better relationship with our spouse, a better relationship with our parents, with our children. Certainly, all those things are a positive result of trusting in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, believing the gospel when it comes to our lives in power. But that is not the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is to save us from our wicked nature and from an eternal hell separated from God. That is the purpose of the gospel. It is explicit in what it is trying to do. But the true gospel is also universal. The true gospel we see is to everyone who believes. It is to everyone. If every person hears the gospel, that person can respond positively to the gospel because it is for everyone. There's no one left out of who Jesus died for. It is everybody. Everyone who has ever existed, everyone who ever will exist. It is universal, but it is only powerful for those who believe. It only works for those who believe. But hear this, that there is no one outside the reach of the gospel. Nobody is too sinful for the gospel. No one is too lost for the gospel. No one is from the wrong family. No one is from the wrong socioeconomic level. Nobody is from the wrong country, area of the world. No one is from the wrong religion or no religion. The gospel is for everyone. Then it is incumbent upon us who know the gospel to share it with everyone. The gospel is universal. The true gospel. A weak gospel may only meet certain people in certain places. A weak gospel may only provide help or aid in certain times of need for certain particular groups. That is not the gospel. The gospel is not uh, prejudiced. The gospel does not discriminate. The gospel is for everyone. For all who will believe. And therefore we share it willingly. We share it freely. We share it profligately. If I can make up a word, which I might be doing, but I don't think so. The true gospel is universal. Nobody is outside of its reach. So we should share it as if everyone who hears it can be saved.
True gospel inspires confidence. The true gospel is powerful. That's why it's for everybody, because it can save anyone. The true gospel is explicit. It has salvation as its goal. The true gospel is universal, and the true gospel changes us. A weak gospel does not inspire change. The weak, a weak gospel does not tell us that we need to repent. A weak gospel tells us we're fine right where we are. The true gospel says, I am a wretch, oh horrid man that I am. That's what the true gospel helps us to understand. But it also helps us to understand that there is someone to pull us out of that. For in it, verse 17, for in it, God's righteousness is revealed. God's righteousness. Now, the, the Greek grammar here is difficult. They didn't have apostrophe S's in Greek. And even if they did, it still doesn't quite clear it up for us. They, just, they have word endings. So we know these two words go together. And we know it, it's some sort of possession between those two words. But what does it mean? Does it mean God's righteousness as in the fact that He is righteous, He's perfect, He follows His own rules? Does it mean it's God's righteousness as in it's the righteousness He owns? Uh, and, and we get that? Something He gives us? Is it we are like Him? We, we get His righteousness, we get His goodness? We, we, we're not real sure. It could mean even a couple of other things depending on who you read. The two big ideas, though, is that it is talking either about God's activity, God's righteousness, His saving power in lives of Christians, or it's His declaration, His, his statement that we are uh, uh, clean, that we are not guilty. It's our, our status in front of him. Maybe that's the kind of righteousness he's talking about. So it's either God's activity, possibly, his saving power, or his declaration. It's our status. Well, it's pretty clear, as I talked about in the Habakkuk verse, Paul being ambiguous, leaving out the uh, pronoun there, uh, the righteous will live by faith, living out his, leaving out his or my, in order to let us understand it's, it's both. Same thing here. He intentionally, it sees, it seems, is, is ambiguous so that we see both of these things. That in the gospel, God's righteousness, both his activity, his saving power, his working in us to change us, as we just talked about, or as we were talking about the gospel changing us, but also our declaration, or his declaration of our uh, innocence, in, in the face of the, the accuser, in the face of the devil saying, he's mine, Jesus says, no, he's not guilty. It's both of those things. God's activity and his declaration. Those things change us. God's constant activity in our lives, his righteousness, constantly draw us to righteousness. Correct us, perfect us, sanctify us, redirect us, realign us. But also we're changed by the fact that we have been declared not guilty. When, when in a courtroom we find out that someone else has taken our punishment and therefore the gavel falls not guilty, that should change our attitude toward that person. Well, that's what happens with God's righteousness. 
We are changed because of what He is doing in us and what He has done for us. This new right relationship, because we've already been in a relationship with God, it's just been a relationship of enemies. Through the gospel, we are reconciled. We are no longer enemies of God. And through this new right relationship, the correct relationship, we are made a new creation, a new creature. We are something different than we were. If there is no difference in our lives, can we really say that we have been saved by the power of the gospel? Just like if we can't articulate what happened to us, have we had it happen to us? The same question can be asked if there's no change in our lives. If God's righteousness does not show up in response to both the saving power at work in our lives and our change of status, if we aren't different because of those things, have we experienced the gospel? Have we experienced salvation? The true gospel changes us. A weak gospel says you're okay where you are. And churches don't need a weak gospel. The true gospel is doable. The true gospel is revealed, Paul says. It's God's power for our salvation, first to the Jew, also to the Greek, everyone. For in it, God's righteousness is revealed, is revealed, made clear, fully understood. See, the true gospel presented in its entirety is understandable and doable, respondable. We have the ability to respond to the true gospel. A weak gospel is going to leave us confused. But the true gospel preached in power, spoken in God's power, not ours, but in God's power, is going to elicit change or at least elicit a response from somebody, or rather from everybody who hears it. If I hear the gospel, I should immediately know that I need to do something. And I should be able to understand and to articulate what I need to do. Now, whether I do that is a totally different story. Whether I make the decision to follow Christ or not, that's a different issue. But the true gospel will be doable. The true gospel, when presented, leaves no excuse for the hearer. Someone, when they hear the true gospel, the true gospel of power, they should not walk away. Now, was I supposed to do something there? Is that, do I have a response? Really? What? Let me think. Now, he did, yeah, he said, uh, but no, I, I don't think I was supposed, I, I guess I'm okay because I heard it. That is a weak gospel. That is not the gospel. The, rega- the gospel re- is doable. It is a, 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 a I don't want to say a set of instructions, but it is clear that we have something to do, and it is easy. The Christian life is not easy, but the response to Christ is, the response to the gospel is simple. Almost too simple. I mean, the simplicity of it is a deterrent to a lot of people. Really, that's all I have to do. All I have to do is believe. No hoops to jump through. No, I don't have to clean it up. I don't have to bring my suitcase of good things with me. No, because that suitcase of good things, just going to get swatted out of there, rejected. That is weak. A weak gospel says I have to do something in order to, to receive that salvation. The true gospel is doable, but I don't have to do anything other than believe. 
So when heard, there is no excuse for the hearer. There is a new life direction that occurs. It is, I can do this. I can change. I'm called to repentance, to, to follow Jesus, to put my trust in Him. This is doable. It's clear. But that means that the burden is on the messenger as well. I can't force someone to respond to the gospel, but I have to be sure, I have to be certain that I am presenting the clear, true gospel to them because their blood will be on my hands should I present a weak gospel. Every time I present the gospel at the end of a message, uh, which I do every time I preach, every time I present that gospel, I have the souls of people who are listening in, in my hands. It's not my responsibility. I can't save them. It's their choice whether or not to follow Jesus. But it is my responsibility to present the true, powerful gospel clearly. And if I don't, then the problem is with me. And I will suffer that. And I don't want that. I want to present a gospel that is true and strong and not weak and hidden. The true gospel is doable, and if it is doable, then the true gospel must demand a response. If there is something I'm to do, if there is a doable nature of the gospel, then I must play some role. Paul says, for in it God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. There's the demand for a response. He says, you begin with faith. When you hear the gospel, when the gospel is presented, spoken to you, your response is in faith. Your response is in uh, complete trust and belief in Him alone to do in your life what you cannot do. To do in your eternity what you cannot do. But it is not just the beginning of faith. Not only do you begin with faith, it is a, 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 a continuous faith. It, it, it begins with a faith response, and it is nothing but a faith response. You don't respond in faith and say, okay, thanks for the salvation, Jesus. I've got now, here, here's, here's my suitcase of good things. Here's what I bring to the table, because there's nothing you bring to the table. There is nothing but faith that you bring. That is our response. That is when we turn to Jesus. That is when we believe, we repent, we turn from our sins, we trust Him, we trust Jesus. And so we respond in faith. A true gospel demands that response. A weak gospel demands no response. You've heard it, good. You feel something, great. You got got little tears, that's good enough. No, a true gospel gospel presentation demands that you respond, you repent, and you trust in Jesus. But if, if there is a response expected, if, if, if the end of a gospel presentation is an anticipated response, and that response may be rejection, but if the anticipated end is a response, then the true gospel necessarily demands a presentation. Paul begins this passage or introduces this passage in verse 15. 
He says, so I am eager to preach the good news. Eager to preach. See, Paul knew there had to be a presentation of the gospel. Paul understood that the most, most vital message he would ever preach was the message of the gospel. How to be saved. How to experience salvation. How to trust Jesus. Paul knew that's what he had to do. When I preach, when I preach Habakkuk, I preach the scripture for the edification and the uh, uplifting and for the, uh, the education of the saints. We're going to talk about that verse in a few weeks. But I am preaching first to that. But as Charles Spurgeon said, I take my text and I make a beeline to the cross. No matter where I preach in scripture, we always get to the gospel by the end. Because I can preach to the saints to be edified and encouraged, lifted up, educated, taught. But if you hear the message of the Scriptures without having experienced the power of the Gospel, the message of the Scriptures is foolishness. So we always go from Scripture, wherever it is, to the Gospel. I will always preach the Gospel. And whoever stands in this pulpit should always preach the Gospel. Because that is the most vital message. Every message is not a gospel presentation, but every message gets to the gospel because we don't know who comes through those doors. We don't know who will be listening. So we preach to whoever, whomever may be here. We preach to the saints and we preach to the lost, the most vital message, and that is the purpose of all of our messages. Edify and encourage, absolutely, but always get to the gospel the true gospel. What churches don't need is a weak gospel. Certainly not a lack of the gospel. But the gospel preached every time the doors are open. Because not only is this the purpose of all messages, the gospel is the purpose of the church. We don't exist to make better lives and, and, and pain-free days and happy days in a great America. That is not why church exists. The church exists to share the gospel. The church exists to make disciples. And if we are not making the disciples, we are not fulfilling the purpose of the church. If we are not sharing the gospel, we are not fulfilling the purpose of the church. And I pray that that is never the case for First Baptist Nixon or any church I pastor in the future. So the gospel is powerful. The gospel is clear. The gospel is, is doable. The true gospel demands a response. So today, what is your response to the true gospel? The true gospel is this. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You, me, everyone. Everybody sinned. Everybody is a sinner. Everybody is sinful. And we can do nothing about that sin. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, which means we're not going to make it to heaven. We have fallen short of perfection, and we're never going to achieve it. Therefore, something has to be done if our eternity is to be with God. Because the wages of sin, Romans 6.23, is death. But God provided a gift through Jesus Christ, that is our, our hope, eternal life 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is God's gift to us. We are sinful, but God provides a way out. Romans 5, 8, he proved his love for us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even in our sinfulness, even knowing that one would respond and one would not, Christ died for both. In our sinfulness, Christ died for us. Romans 10, 8, everyone, universal, Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. The sal salvation is for all who believe. So it doesn't matter where you are today. It doesn't matter the life you're living. It does not matter the things you're going through. Jesus wants to save you. Repent. Turn from your old life. Turn to this new life. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth. Doable, right? Simple, right? If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the gospel. Simple, doable, powerful, life-altering, world-shattering gospel. Let's pray. Father, I pray that all of us will experience the power of the gospel. Lord, that we will see it truly as it is, a powerful, dynamic, life-altering thing that is simple and doable but requires a response on our part. Lord, if there's someone with, within the sound of my voice today who has not experienced you as Savior, that they would do that. They would trust you. They would believe Set aside those things that, uh, of their, their past and, and their present and have a brand new future with you. God, we thank you for a powerful gospel that changes. I pray that this church will never be a place where a weak gospel is preached and a certainly a ne never be a place where no gospel is preached at all but Lord, that you would do an incredible work in this place for years to come. And Lord, for those of us who, who are less confident than we should be in the gospel, or, well, we say in, less confident in ourselves, but in reality, it's the gospel we don't trust. You would give us a boldness to know it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. It is only my responsibility to present the gospel and even a gospel with missing a point here or a point there or not presented in the most eloquent manner the gospel still has power and i pray we will present that gospel lord this will be a gospel preaching church forever as long as this church exists it will be a gospel preaching and lord if it is not a gospel preaching then don't let it turn people astray lead people astray and turn them away from the true gospel. God, work on hearts today. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's the true gospel. How should you respond to that true gospel? Well, you should accept Christ. If you've not, you need to turn to Him. If you have not experienced the power of the gospel, you need to do that today. 
Maybe you need to be baptized. You've trusted him, but you haven't followed in obedience like you should. Maybe you need to join a church, lead a life of holiness, recommit your life. I don't know. But if you've heard the message today, if you have opened God's word with us, if, if, if God has spoken to you, and he does every time you read his word, then you must respond in some way. God is calling for a response from every hearer of his word today. So the question is, how will you respond? You need to hear God's voice calling you. And you need to make a decision based on what he is saying to you today. And my prayer is that you will do that.